if every business in the world was run by a visionary, you would have the most spectacular ideas created and never finished. And if every business was run by an integrator, you would see the most consistent 2% year-over-year growth that you could hope for, but nothing amazing would ever happen. This is From Paint to Purpose, a podcast by FCP Services, where we believe people drive growth. Exploring topics related to company culture, leadership, and construction industry insights. Now your host, John Barsness. Roger, why don't you share a little bit about your history um, and and give kind of the 30,000 foot view of your, uh, your career and background. Sure. Well, um, I started out as an accountant, as a CPA, controller, CFO. Did that for a number of years, but I always wanted, to, my goal was always to manage small companies. And so I went back to school and got an MBA in, in, at the University of Chicago. And I got it in marketing so that I could supplement my finance background. So I worked a few more years in finance and then I got some marketing experience at Deluxe Check, where I was a product manager and managed 40 of the, 40 of the check designs that we used to buy back in the day in the little red box. And at that point, I said, I think I'm ready. And I went out and I found my first small company to manage. It was a small company in Northeast Minneapolis that, of all things, made prison cell furniture. And uh, it was an unusual situation because it was a turnaround. Um, I'd never done that before, but they had about two weeks left to live when I got there. And I discovered I really enjoyed doing turnarounds. And in this case, it took us about nine months to get the company back on its feet and record sales and record profits and uh, I would do this over and over again at many different companies and along the way I read the book Traction and when I got to the part about integrator I said hey that's me that's what I've been doing I've been going into these small companies and listening to the owner hearing what the vision is and what he wants to have happen and then I turn around with the team and I make it happen and uh, so from then on, I decided I was an integrator. And I did that for probably 20 years before I went on my own three years ago. And since that point, you've been on a, on a fractional basis. Uh, talk right. to us, I guess, for those people who are not as familiar with the EOS business model, what did, what's the premise of the EOS model, especially as it relates to uh, the small businesses? Well, EOS is um, a great set of I always say it's a set of best practices on how to run a small business. Um, Gino Wickman, who invented it, was an experienced consultant, and he realized all of his clients had prob the same problems, and they could be broken down into six different areas. And so he created a set of very simple best practices on how to deal with each one of those. And, he re and I say simplified, he really simplified it to the point of, here, you want to evaluate people? Here's a form. You want to hold a meeting? Here's a form. Here's your agenda. You want to track your data? Here's a form. And he got it down to a very basic level like that. And it works really well for the small company. You know, most small business owners have never been to business school. They probably understand something about sales or production or something like that, but they probably don't, they probably don't understand all six areas. 
So it's a system that allows them to uh, rely on it and cover all those areas where maybe their expertise isn't quite as strong. And as you have been an integrator for 20 plus years, uh, what are what size company have you have you found the most success when they've tried to implement EOS? Uh, and is there a point at which it, it, the system itself, because it is somewhat simplified for a small business, tends to not be as effective then if an organization grows to a certain size? Right. Well, in the book, it'll tell you that the target market for EOS is between 2 and $50 million in sales. I have heard plenty of stories where it gets used in bigger organizations. Uh, most of my experience is in the under $10 million area. And I think it's a really powerful tool in that range because an owner who is, is willing to let go and delegate to his people and rely on the operating system to make things happen will see really quick results. Uh, people will be aligned, focused, goals will be clear. Um, just people will be working together like they never have before. There is that upper limit though, I've heard, and I don't have experience there, but I've heard bigger companies um, EOS doesn't work for them, and there are other tools like Scaling Up and Gazelles and things like that that might work better. As a as an, uh, a seasoned integrator um, and working with visionaries, especially, talk a little bit maybe about one some of the uh, the parts of that uh, connection between the visionary and the integrator uh, that are are most powerful in terms of. Uh, helping an organization grow or efficiently do what they do today uh, uh, on a different scale. What are some of the things that you found to be uh, most helpful for, for if some if an integrator is out there listening today and they're saying, hey, I'm really struggling to, to connect with the, the visionary. What are some things that you found, especially when you've been doing this the last several years as a fractional uh, integrator uh, going into organizations as a consultant? Yeah, it's really important to connect with what the visionary needs. Um, if a visionary is doing EOS, then they've acknowledged that, hey, I don't have to know everything. I, that's not part of my job requirement. I'm really, I have a superpower in some area. It might be sales, it might be product development or production processes or something like that. And I wanna devote my time to that. Um, my first client that I had, my first day with him, he told me, you know what, I'm a trapped visionary. And I said, okay, what does that mean? And he goes, I want to work on building out our sales team. And I want to improve our corporate culture. And I want to uh, be on our industry board. But do you know what I spend all my time doing? Working in QuickBooks. So I said, okay, I get it. So that was my real connection with him. I've trained a ton of controllers in my life, so I found someone in the staff who could take over. I taught her QuickBooks and I taught her how to do cash management. We were able to push all those QuickBooks duties down from the visionary to her and now he went out and he, he did hire a sales team and he did put in a CRM and he did grow the business. So that was me finding a connection with that visionary on how I could best do it. And that's what I've done really with all my clients now. When I meet a new visionary, I'm probing. What What is it that you're looking for? How can I how can I free you up? What is it that you want to be spending your time on? And how can I get you there? And that always includes um, taking over the management of the leadership team. 
So those four or five people that cover sales, ops, and, and finance, they no longer report to the visionary. So that's a big part of freeing them up, and I take that over, and uh, then I just look for other ways, so, other ways that I can free the visionary up. You make a good point uh, around taking, freeing up the visionaries, especially when it comes to the leadership management and accountability of uh, the direct, uh, the leadership team members. Um, the The model itself uh, tells you a visionary should never LMA. Um, is that, have you found that to be absolutely accurate when you're working with visionaries that that's not a skill set that they typically have? Uh, and so that, therefore it, it, it actually causes them more uh, consternation when they have to manage uh, that le leadership team? I had a visionary tell me once, hold other people accountable? I can't even hold myself <laughs> accountable. So yes, I have heard that. Um, it's, you know, some of them can do it, but it's, it's like when you're doing something that isn't your strength. It doesn't give you energy, it wears you out. And for a lot of them, that's what that is. They wanna concentrate on growing the business and spending the time to get in the details of managing people and holding them accountable and giving them a kick in the behind when they need it. That's not what gives them energy and it's not what they want to do. For our organization, we uh, we started down this, this path of EOS. Uh, it's probably been five years now, maybe six. Uh, that we've been uh, using the the model itself, and as we've continued to grow, um, we've obviously uh, continued to to use it to enhance uh, processes and and to really manage the business as it, as it's scaled up. Um, when when you would come in, when you come into an organization, what timeline do you kind of give them, or do you ask questions around how long before somebody like you who is maybe helping to shape how the the organization utilizes EOS, uh, and you're working with a brand new leadership team, do you give them sort of a timeline on, on how they they can expect to see both the results of using the system, but also getting the organization into that rhythm as well? Well, EOS provides a pretty good um, framework. They have, they have the meeting pulse, right? So you meet for a quarterly or annual meeting, let's say a quarterly meeting, and you set the goals. You know, you do your review of the prior quarter, then you set your goals for the next quarter. You have your annual goals, and you say, okay, what, what are we going to have to get done in the next quarter to make that? And you agree on those goals. They turn into rocks. And then you start the 13 weeks, 13 L10 meetings. And every week, you know, you're, you're how are, on track or off track. How are we doing? Are we progressing? And by the end of the 13th week, it's time to have another quarterly meeting. So EOS has this cycle and um, that people come to expect that and, and, and understand how that's how that works. And for me, one of the exciting things about EOS is when you go through that 13 weeks working on these rocks and you get to the next quarterly meeting and everyone looks back at the quarter and looks back at those seven rocks that they set uh, 13 weeks ago and they feel good. They feel like, man, we, we set a target, we got it done, we stuck with it, we got it done, let's do it again. Let's pick seven more rocks and let's move the business forward. So I think the, you get into the, the EOS structure, the meeting pulse, and that's kind of the, the expectation that people work within. 
Have you found uh, a challenge for leadership teams to actually set uh, rocks that are uh, that are aligned with uh, the objectives of the organization? Or do you find some leadership teams who are just setting rocks to set them because they think they're supposed to and they really don't know what that should look like? Have you run into that as you've tried to help organizations understand the mechanism of using uh, the quarterly uh, meetings, the annual meetings, and those rocks that are really driving the primary objectives of the business? Yeah, I haven't seen that. I think if you if you do the VTO properly, if you say, here's the 10-year vision, here's the three-year plan and the one-year plan, if you're bringing it down to the ground and you keep aligned with, you keep in mind what each of those visions are, and you should end up setting rocks that are consistent with those. If you're not, whoever's running your quarterly meeting is not doing a good job. But I have seen, and I'm struggling with this with a client right now, I have seen where um, the, the leadership team needs to elevate, right? So if you've got four people who are in charge of four functional areas and their head is buried in the day-to-day and they're focused on what they have to do and you sit in this quarterly meeting, if they can't elevate to the level of, okay, I'm no longer a department leader, I'm now a senior manager in the business, then you might not come up with seven rocks that are really move the business forward. They might be sort of like seven nice-to-haves or seven minor improvements, but they didn't really move us down the road to meet re- reaching that one-year goal that we have laid out because we didn't elevate. We didn't think big big enough, big picture enough. And that that's a really good point, I think, especially with, some, with many small businesses that are, are trying to grow and utilizing a system like EOS is that most of the leaders, if they're on the leadership team, uh, they likely ha- were in the business and in the weeds on a regular basis and may not even have an understanding of what it looks like to elevate and then, of, of course, to delegate because you can't elevate without uh, delegation. Have you uh, Is that an area that as an integrator, especially when you come into the business, uh, that you find that there's uh, either a lack of understanding of how that works or just simply a skill set that isn't uh, available to them? And how do you how do you manage through that as an integrator? I think most people have, they're open to the the mindset of delegating and elevating. I think we're all trained that way. It kind of comes with spending years in a job. You watch your boss, right? So he delegates to you. Um, Maybe you delegate to somebody else, but you know, you're always trying to elevate. You're trying to push down the stuff that's not important and you're trying to work on the things that are important. So I think there's a natural um, wanting to, to do that delegate and elevate. Um, what I've seen is the company just doesn't have a structure that will allow that. Maybe it's just a flat organization and there's just nobody to delegate to, you know, so you can't, you can't, as you said, you can't elevate without delegating. Um, so that might be a more common thing. I think that, so I think the, uh, inclination to do it is there. We just need the right structure to allow people to do it. And you know what? That's one of the great things about EOS. If that doesn't work for you, if any part of EOS doesn't work for you, maybe you just need to select out. Yeah, absolutely. Um, 
Um, and, and so one of the, one of the things I found unique in your background, and you touched on this as we as you kind of introed yourself a little bit about your background, was that you were you you went in uh, to business from a finance perspective, and then you decided when you wanted to. Uh, eventually get into managing small businesses uh, to go back and get your MBA and, and have a specialization in marketing. Was that a specific goal that you had set for yourself to say, I want to expand out or I'm going to select marketing because I have a finance background? Or was that something that, that somebody else kind of helped you uh, guide you to that decision-making early in your career? No, that was actually, um, that was intentional, very intentional. Um, I, um, when I was in college at St. John's, my senior year, I was the general manager of the college radio station. So I was, I had, um, we had uh, like a hundred people on the staff, and we had a twenty thousand dollar budget, and we had a ten person executive team. I was the general manager, and I was very fortunate. At twenty two years old, I knew what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. I knew I wanted to manage small companies. So passed the CPA exam out of college, built a finance background. Went back and got, and then I intentionally got the MBA in marketing to supplement that. And actually, that first job that I got as a general manager, that first turnaround of the prison cell uh, manufacturer, I got the job because the owner looked at me and said, Wait a minute, you mean I can get finance and marketing in the same person? <laughs> so, right out of the chute, it proved helpful. And what was it that prompted you to want to? Uh, go about leading uh, small organizations at 22 years old, especially if you were going to school for an, uh, with an undergraduate in finance. Um, what was it that, that, you, that you, you thought, I don't want to go down the big corporate path. I, I'd rather be in the small business world. What were some of the things that, that got you to that place? You know, I wish I could point to like I experience at a job or my parents owned a store or something like that, but there really was nothing specific. I just have never liked big. I've always liked small. You know, St. John's is small. I didn't go to a big, you know, state school. Um, it just felt right to me. And, and uh, you know, that's kind of all it was. And did you take, you know, so you obviously started in, in some bigger organizations, built your career in finance, moved to a deluxe corporation, which obviously at the time especially was a, a very large organization. Um, what lessons did you learn from from being in in some of the bigger organizations that then you did take to the small world before you got into the EOS model itself? Were there things that you that you thought, well, this is this was really helpful to lay the groundwork to be able to take on more in a smaller organization? Yeah, I think my biggest takeaway from my time at a Fortune 500 company was um, just the breadth of what they do and the, and not only the breadth but the depth i mean all the things that these companies get into all and then the depth all the expertise that they draw on people are very specialized in different areas and um, that always impressed me um, because you know in a small company you're lucky to have one person in a functional area and you're limited to what expertise they have right so um so in a way, you kind of learn, okay, we can do better than this, so how do we do it? Do we supplement this with an outsourced service? Do we, do we replace this person? I mean, you can go beyond what, what cards you've got in front of you, kind of. You, know, you can kind of change the game. If you understand that there's a, there's a lot out there that you can call on, that you're not just restricted to what you have at your little company. 
And speaking of the different companies that you've been associated with, both in, in, in the 20 years that you did this uh, as an integrator in, in uh, organizations and then as a consultant, what were some of the industries that you have, have touched in your career by being the person that goes into small organizations? And as you, as you pointed out, you, you found out just by the knack of doing that you enjoyed turnarounds. Uh, what were some of the industries that you bet you've been a part of uh, that, that you've enjoyed about that? And what did you enjoy about the, the variety yeah. of, of industries? Well, it'd probably be easier to name an industry <laughs> I haven't been in. Um, because I've been in a lot of different things. I've done a lot in manufacturing. Um, I, I've been distribution, um, international uh, manufacturing, um, service businesses. I haven't had a client recently that was an online women's clothing retailer. Um, just seen a lot. I have an excavating client right now. So I've been in a lot of different things, which is cool because I, you can bring all those different perspectives to each one. You know, because you got people in this company who have been in this industry their whole lives, and that's that's what they know. So I can bring an outside perspective as kind of a generalist. So, yeah, I think that's 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 what's really fun too is being in all these different industries and seeing the different ways they do things and and how they drive sales and what's important to profit. It, it makes it it makes it fun. And have you found that that's part of the appeal of working in smaller industries is that you get to go in and learn about an industry that you may not have ever been a part of, and that keeps it fresh for you? Because obviously, once you've done you know turn even in in the turnaround world, once you've done it a couple times, there's sort of this idea that yeah, it's different each time, but you sort of have a, an idea of what needs to happen, and you're looking for the levers to pull to to help them uh, right the ship. Uh, have you found that being a, being a part of different industries has kept it fresh for you because you're learning something all the way all, all the way through that process? I think the thing I like best about working at small companies is how quickly we can move. <laughs> you know, we can have an L10 meeting and somebody can get a to-do and suddenly we're doing we're just doing something completely different and it doesn't take a lot of time. Um, we don't have to think about it. We don't have to go through layers of approval or anything like that. Um, so that's my probably my favorite thing. So we can move quickly, have impact very fast, and, and it's satisfying to see that. What have been some of your highlights if you look back and uh, on you know you talked about the the first uh, organization and turning around a company that ba basically had two weeks to live, if you will. Um, it, it, what are some of the highlights that you look back on and go, man, that was really fun. I'm proud of what we did there. Uh, and and any of the anything that stands out or highlights for you? I, I would. I'll talk about you know multiple turnarounds that I've done. Um, I, I just I like. I like to win. I like to succeed. And I like to be in a situation where, okay, here it is. Here's the situation. Let's put a plan together and then, and then let's make it happen. And um, that's, I guess that's what, I mean, there's some people can't, that cannot stand the uncertainty of it. I've seen people leave, you know, when things get really bad. But I just get the vision of, okay, here's how, here's the problem. Here's the plan of how we're going to get out of it. And now let's execute the plan. And um, it sounds really elementary, but that's what appeals to me, figuring out a plan to make it happen because I want to win. I want it to work. 
And from a integrator seat, I've talked to other integrators uh, in in different industries, and one of the common themes that I've heard from many of the integrators is they love the fact that they are able to take a vision from a uh, from a, a, an owner of a company or that person that's playing the visionary seat, if it happens to not be an owner, which in small business it's often not, but uh, but it uh, it is that person, and being able to take something where they're they are so on fire for what they want to do, but really have no idea how to take it to that next level, um, and they say that's the biggest thing that they enjoy uh, of of the role of integrator because there is that uh, that ability to take somebody's vision and really make it uh, something real and tangible. Uh, have you found that that is something that, that drives you? Uh, or what are some of the other things that you have found to be uh, kind of lifting of your spirit and, and energizing in, in that integrator seat? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to share a quote from one of my favorite people. Joel Swanson is an EOS implementer. And I was on a panel with him once and he goes, we were talking about the visionary versus integrator, the difference and the synergy and all that. And he goes, you know, if every business in the world was run by a visionary, you would have the most spectacular ideas created and never finished. And if every business was run by an integrator, you would see the most consistent 2% year-over-year growth that you could hope for, but nothing amazing would ever happen. And that's kind of what's fun being a Integrate, being an integrator to a, a really outstanding visionary. Um, you free them up, right? So they can do what they want to do. You're part of the team. Um, you get that rapport with them. Um, you're part of making their vision a reality. And, and that's, I mean, that's what I like about it. And working with a visionary, typically uh, they are ones that, again, they dream big. They have a lot of different ideas. Uh, and the EOS model obviously shares with the organization how you take a lot of those things and drive them into the, the plan that you have in place. Uh, how have you learned to filter those, you know, the 10,000 ideas that a, that a visionary is going to have um, and, and really help them understand that while it's a great idea, many of them are not yet type of ideas because it doesn't fit into what that plan is that the that either five or 10 year uh, vision uh, for the organization. How have you balanced being able to keep them sparked and energized, but not feeling like they're gonna just continue to bang around the organization because they want it done? Yeah, you know, I've, you read that, like it talks about that in Rocket Fuel that the, um Visionary is going to come up with 18 new ideas every morning before breakfast, and the um, integrator cannot be cannot say no. He has to say, "Well, not yet. Let's let's put this one aside. Let's put it on the VTO, so we'll look at it next quarter." But remember, we already have a plan this quarter. We already got this quarter planned out. We said we were going to accomplish these five to seven rocks, and if I throw that in the mix now, it's going to screw up our plan, which we've been working on for these 13 weeks. So that's probably the best way to do it. I haven't had that problem. Um, personally, I've not run into that. I've, I've pretty much worked with visionaries who once we have the quarterly meeting, they're in agreement with everybody else on what, on what the rocks are. Um, so no, I haven't personally, I'm aware of it, but I haven't personally run into that. In, in last year was obviously a unique year for for many organizations. Unfortunately, for for 
quite a few small businesses, it was actually a terrifying year. Um, what what lessons did maybe you learn or see from organizations that may have been going through uh, some ups and downs? Either they they flourished because of they they were an industry that that seemed to have uh, what the the COVID environment needed, but then likewise some of those owners and small businesses that were really really concerned because they didn't know what to do next. What did you find yourself uh, involved with from an integration standpoint and an integrator role last year? Yeah, Gino Wickman has a say, uh, he has said that it, you got to look at the 10 year, a 10 year cycle. He said in every 10 years, there are going to be seven years that are good. There are going to be two years that are going to be very good. But every 10 years, you're going to have one year that's horrible. Well, we just had it, all right? So that was 2020. So as I look back on, as that whole thing began to unfold, you know, I think we all did the same thing. We Okay, we all thought the world might be coming to an end, so we applied for the PPP loan. That was, you know, everybody did that to get the money. And then we waited, and I would say for most of my clients, the world didn't come to an end. I mean, they might have had a pretty bad second quarter, but they found by third quarter things had stabilized, and it wasn't a great year, but um, it wasn't a horrible year. I mean, it was it was it was disappointing. They, maybe some of my clients are saying, you know, our, our sales budget for 21 is going to we're going to start over at 2019, and we're just going to pretend 2020 never <laughs> happened. We're going to take 2019 and we're going to add five percent, and that's our budget for 2021. Um, so that's how a lot of them are, are reacting, kind of glossing right over 2020, like it never happened. Um, but the clients that I had, you know, we got the loans and it was pretty much, let's be smart. Let's, let's grab the revenue that we can. Let's keep serving our clients kind of like nothing happened. You know what I mean? Just kind of keep working the way we, what's, what's been worked in the past. I didn't have a client that was terribly impacted by the virus. They all had a weak middle of the year. Were, were there any uh, of the organizations that learned to pivot into something different because of uh, the environment? And, and that would have that wasn't necessarily in the plan, but they they recognized that there was an opportunity that they were able to to pivot their organization to make it through that. Or were they just sort of we're going to just hunker down and 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 stay on point, but we're going to do what we can. I can think of probably the best example of what you're describing is I have a client that's an e-commerce business and they needed to really look at how they're spending their marketing dollars. And um, of course, they're always looking at that, but there, it took us a, on, a, on a greater urgency in 2020 and they really focused on well, what's worked for us in the past. Let's kind of pull back to the basics. Um, let's just focus on what we know works and let's just let's just do that and actually it, it pulled them through the year so i guess my answer would be my one example someone just they just pulled back and said let's concentrate on the basics let's go back to what's worked for us let's stay with that see if that gets us through this crisis and it did and that you know we were in an, we're in an industry in the construction world where it it did feel like the world was going to come to a screeching halt at at uh, end of first right. quarter beginning of second quarter but it was interesting that we it forced us to sort of 
to rev up our crea creative juices, if you will. Uh, and we got into areas that we had never done anything before, but because there was a need and there weren't other companies out there ahead of it doing those things, it actually opened doors for us. And we ended up having one of our better years in the midst of this, wow. of this craziness, which was which was really when we stopped when we stopped and looked back at it and we looked at the the rocks that we put in place for the year and how we broke them down each quarter and and understood where we were at uh, it adjusted a little bit but it wasn't significant and actually we found ourselves um, in a really powerful position towards the end of the year and beginning of this year. So uh, that's why I asked that question, because for us, we thought, man, this is not going to be good. I think in one day, we might have lost about $10 million in contracts um, and and went, oh, oh, that's not good. Uh, you know, for a small business, that's that's terrifying. And, uh, and then this new area that you found, was it an area that you just had never noticed before or how did you come about it? Yeah, it was, well, part of it is, is you get in, you find ingenuity when you, uh, when you know that you're right. losing revenue, right. And you're trying to find a way to, to, to piece it together. And so we actually ended up working with clients that we'd always, we had always worked with, but in just different areas. So it was mostly around those, those retail environments where they still needed to have people in their buildings, uh, shopping and doing other things. And how are we going to keep the, the customer and the employees safe and so you know one of the examples is is going around the country and putting putting in the sneeze guards uh, in these retail places and uh, nobody ever heard of those before at least not in the US uh, and and so when companies said hey we got to we've got to do these things we want to put them at the registers uh, we said all right and and then we went and figured out how to do it we found, figured out how to get the suppliers and we fi figured out how to get the labor and uh, and it got us through at least a, a couple of quarters that we would have normally not had anything while we tried to readjust and, and work with our client, current client base to to figure out what they were going to do for the rest of the year. Because we were fortunate in some ways that we worked with a lot of big box retailers and they didn't really get hurt by the, the pandemic as much because they were considered essential in many cases. And, and so, but it was, it was eye opening for us to say, Hey, we hadn't really thought about that, but now we're getting into some of that stuff that we had never really done before. Um, and, and, and so it, it, we saw what we had in our, in our organization too. Uh, you've pointed out earlier that, that people either gravitate towards challenge or they run away from it. And we found a lot of people who gravitated towards it and found, uh, found success. So that's great. Great story. Um, when, when you think about, uh, the integrator role and you go into organization and you're in organizations, how many of them are focused in the EOS model of their core value and their core niche? Um, how many of the organizations are really kind of hanging their hat there or do they focus on some other parts of the EOS, uh, model when they're putting their plan together? You mean what what part of EOS kind of resonates with them the most yeah. with their plan? Yeah. Um, well, I would I would look at the VTO like you just did. Um, where I see people get getting really engaged is when you pull the vision from the clouds and you start bringing bringing it to the ground. So when you the owner can say, well, in ten you know the ten year plan, ten year vision, right? So that's the BHAG. That's the big okay. We're going to be a $20 million company. Okay, great. That's So that's fine. Then you start going, okay, if that's the case, what do we look like in three years? Okay, are we in the same building? How many employees do we have? 
You know, how many more trucks do we have driving around? And then it starts to get real to people. Start to go, oh, well, we'd probably need three more sales guys. Okay, put that on the board. And so then it starts to get real to them. And I see people really get engaged. Then you, when you got that picture complete, you go, okay, great. So if we have to be there in three years, what do we have to do in the next year? And then it starts to get a little more real. So I think that, to me, that's where the real creativity, or I don't know if that's the right word, but the real benefit of, of going through your, your quarterly meeting is when people reinforce that vision of where are we going again and, how, and what is it going to take to get us there. I think that's the one that I, I see companies get the most out of. Yeah, uh, well, it certainly was for us too. We we were able to. I think what it found, what we found when we started really diving in was, what did we want to be known for? You know, and you start, and I I found anyway, especially with our uh, our visionary in particular, and and even now with our integrator taking on a a much more active role in some of the strategic things that were as he was elevating to that integrated role he wasn't as, as intent about um, is really being able to find a way to say no to things uh, which is not always easy for well it's not easy at all at least for our visionary uh, to say no to things because they always think that the, there's a possibility uh, that we can do it um, so I think that was what helped us to, to zero in and go this is what we want to be known for this is what we're good at and uh, and how do we continue to build that that part of our company so uh, I don't know if that's what you've experienced with with some of the organizations as well as it, as it becomes uh, more real that that the answers to the question of yes no or not now become a little bit easier to make uh, in the process. So do you did you guys end up changing your core focus or did you find your Sticking to it more strictly. We were stri sticking to it more strictly um, because before that, it was always the, well, we, we could try that. Well, that's a good idea. Let's try it. And, yeah. and so you didn't have that discipline of, uh, of saying, well, does that fit to that core purpose? And does that fit to our huh. niche? Uh, and when it didn't, it wasn't a matter of outright saying absolutely not. It was, does it fit and is it close to it? And would it fit in in the next three year or the next five year or whatever we were working towards uh, to help us make better decisions as opposed to just saying, because we have a mindset here of uh, that often uh, moves from our, our visionary and uh, into in through the organization of we'll just sell it and then we'll go figure out how to do it, and yeah. and that can can get dangerous at times, especially as you start growing, um, because you need to have some sort of a plan to be able to see if you can execute. But so your core focus, using your core focus as a filter, which you're supposed to do. Right. How did you justify getting into the, the screen guards business, sneeze guards business? Well, that was, uh, for us, it was in the same segment of, of, of industry that we were that we were in. And one of our core uh, core tenants of our organization is that we, we serve a, cl a client base that is always changing. The retail space is always changing. So we need to be able to be pivot and change with them. And so we didn't, uh, what we, what we always try to filter our stuff through is, is it the same? Uh, is it in the area that we know well, meaning the, the, the industry more than it is uh, necessarily the projects that we take on? Uh, because we don't do government, we don't do industrial, we don't do some of those. We're in the construction space. We're we're fairly uh, niched uh, in that area, so that helped us to make that that uh, that decision. But some of it was a necessity based on the 
on where we were trying to, to uh, you know, keep the lights on and, and do what you got to do as a business. So, good. so that's uh, a great example of using EOS to help you through the, the situation. Yeah, it, it, it really was. So, um, well, from I, the last topic I really wanted to cover with you, because I was fascinated by this when I when I was looking at it was your uh, founding of Projection Smart, which I think is is a fascinating tool. Uh, talk a little bit about what that is and, and why you decided that that was something you wanted to get involved with uh, as a as a founding uh, person for that sure. for that product. So. I had turned around all these small companies, like I said, I had done it a number of times. And one day it just hit me that, hey, you know, there was one thing I did in all these situations and it really, really helped make me successful. And that I that is that I was able to project what was going to happen. I'm a CPA and I'm good with spreadsheets. So I would get a spreadsheet together and I go, okay, what are our sales going to be? And then what are our costs going to be and how much cash do we have? And I, I could kind of put together a plan. Do we need to get a loan or what, you know, how long before we start turning positive cash flow? And that became the plan that made us successful. And I thought about it some more and I said, you know, every small company should do this. I don't even care if you're not in trouble. You get your financial statements on the 10th of the month. So you see where you've been. Why not spend 15 more minutes and look forward? See what, what the future holds. Um, what does your cash look like in the next year? What's the lowest it's going to get? Or, um, you know, what if we're considering doing some new project, what's the effect going to be on our profitability? And just do that kind of modeling. And, and I thought, man, every small company should do this, but I couldn't find any tools to help them do it. And I'm talking about a company under $10 million owned by someone who does not have a background in finance or accounting and does not have a controller or CFO to help them. There were no tools for somebody like that. There are plenty of tools that if your company is here, we'll get you to the next level, but there was nothing for that person that I just described. So that's why I created it. Well, that's, it was, it, like I said, it was fascinating. And I think it, it, it was something that uh, caught my attention because I think all of us in the, in the business world today are paying attention to that much more so than we had been maybe even the last several years because, quite frankly, in most businesses, things were pretty good. And, and so you don't always think about it like you do if uh, when times turn and you're, and you're trying to figure out where are we going to get the next uh, revenue stream coming through. Um, so I thought it was fascinating. I would agree with you. I think as a, as a small business, especially with many of the key decision makers sitting around the room that are not finance folks, uh, it, it provides a tangible way to not only understand your numbers, but you can influence what it means because you're talking about it from a sales perspective and you're talking about it from an operational perspective, which they do know, and they don't always translate it into dollars. So, um, yeah, I, I think it was, I think it's a, it's an absolutely phenomenal, uh, tool. And as, as much as I like EOS, um, there are parts in it that it's, I mean, it's simplified, right? right. So there are parts that don't go very far. Um, the whole marketing plan is one little box <laughs> in the lower left-hand corner of page one. Well, it's, you know, that doesn't go far enough. And it doesn't specifically have a sales plan in it anywhere. So, so there are some things that they could do better. And, and I think projections is another one. I mean, if you read Traction, it's all a, EOS is all about projecting the future. And I don't mean necessarily um, 
seeing the future. Let's say it that way. U.S. is about seeing the future. Where are we going in 10 years or in three years? And because you can't get there until you can see it. So EOS is about seeing that future. But nowhere in EOS do they say, well, you should run your numbers to make sure that you know what it takes to get there. So I think I would love EOS to say, hey, this is something that should be part of our program. You know, getting, telling people, here's, here's how you take that vision and you further bring it down to the ground by getting it all the way down into actionable numbers. Well, it's ironic. Yeah, that. it's ironic too because they one of the big uh, focal points when you're putting your plan together, especially initially, is to know your numbers, right? I mean, every week you're supposed right. to come in and know your numbers, and and uh, and so. Uh, but your, to your point, EOS has a lot of really good strengths, and one of the biggest ones is simply the fact that it is simple, and most uh, businesses, especially small businesses, can understand it, and then it. it allows you to get momentum, uh, forward momentum on putting some disciplines in that typically are not there for many entrepreneurial uh, organizations. So, right. um, well, Roger, I really appreciate your time today on, uh, on our podcast. I think this is going to be uh, a topic that many people will want to pay attention to because most of our uh, audiences are small to mid-sized businesses and uh, and they're always looking for ways to understand their business better uh, and and so I really appreciate your expertise and uh, um, we will make sure that when we put this together uh, and and it goes out we will make sure that your contact information is available for those that might be interested in learning more about either what you do as a fractional uh, integrator or through projection smart Perfect. No, I've enjoyed it. Thanks for inviting right. me, John. Thank you. Thanks for listening. To learn more, visit fcpservices.com. Until next time, remember, people drive growth.